0: You are now listening to the Unstucked Podcast, where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas. Let's start the year off strong. Download our Unstucked budgeting guide to get unstuck in your finances to begin to understand your flow of money. Look, when I think back to when I really made a shift from living paycheck to paycheck to being able to invest and actually understand my retirement timeline, it all started with budgeting. So download our budgeting guide available in the show notes. Now on to the episode. Can you believe it? Season two is here. I missed you guys so much. Uh, I took a much needed break, but as you all know, when I take breaks, I was able to keep myself very busy. We went from being laid off, which you'll hear more about in the coming episodes, to leaving corporate, to taking my business full-time and getting to work with some of my dream clients. I became the CPO of Her First 100K and an advisor to One-in-One Life. I couldn't be more excited with where I'm at and where Unstuck's at and will continue to head in the future. So if you haven't already, make sure you follow us at Unstucked on Instagram and at Unstucked on TikTok. We'll be having an email newsletter go out that will launch here in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. But I couldn't be more excited on bringing you more actionable steps on getting unstuck in your career, finances, business, and life. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstuck podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Dumas. Today, I'm joined by David Kavari. David is a director of product at a Silicon Valley health tech company focused on AI and automation. He's been a part of five venture-backed startups, three of which experienced hypergrowth during his tenure. He holds a BS and an MBA from Stanford. He loves to exercise, spend time with family, and play music. Also, David has a TikTok, David underscore dares, where he shares information on how to become better each day and how to overcome your fears. David, I think we go back to fourth grade, man. It's crazy to be sitting here. Before we jumped on here, David and I were actually talking about all the different parallels in our life. And I would love to kind of get into that today. How are you, David? I'm doing great, man. I
1: honestly had a flashback just now of seeing you for the first time on the elementary school playground and being
0: like, hey, who is that guy? So it's <laughs> great to be here with you, brother. It's, it's honestly awesome. Yeah, me and David used to hoop hard and, and hang out. Time flies, man. I just can't believe like we're knocking on 30 and it's just crazy. Like Terman Tiger Middle School seemed like just yesterday. And it was crazy. I actually came across David again on TikTok and he was sharing some wisdom, some wonderful things. I mean, we'll get into it here in a second, but David is a wonderful person and also a brilliant person at the same time. And I think you guys will all learn a lot from him. So David, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what fires you up, uh, why you started your TikTok. Uh, we're all curious to know. Sure, man. Thank you for the very
1: generous remarks. One of the many reasons why Khalil is a great friend to have, man. he pumps his boys up. <laughs> but in terms of my background, you know, I was born at Stanford Hospital, and I actually haven't made it too far since then. I live in Palo Alto now and grew up in the tech post-crash era in 01 when things had really fallen apart and Khalil and I and others were kind of kicking it around town, doing our thing as young guys. And there was this resurgence of tech, this rebuilding, where I started to notice that on the main drag of downtown Palo Alto near Stanford University, we went from having like a huge frozen yogurt shop occupying this prime real estate to next thing you know, you've got Palantir Facebook opening offices, boutiques popping up. And so I could feel that things were changing, but I didn't know exactly how. Fast forward a little bit into middle school, started to get into things that you'd think of as technology. But at that time, I don't even think I had that language to describe that. I was doing things like macro media flash animation, video game level design, sound engineering and production. You can't tell right now, but I'm surrounded by guitars at the moment on either side of me. (laughs) Take my word for it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But when it came down to it, I was very interested in this stuff, including actually video editing and production. So it's cool that we're kind of coming full circle and doing a little media together. But as I got toward the end of high school, thinking about where I'm going to college, got into a couple of schools, Stanford, Harvard, Princeton, a few others. I was really fortunate there. And I'm also somewhat surprised, honestly, that it worked out as well as it did. But popped in and went to Stanford. It had been my dream since I was a little kid. I basically grew up in the shadow of Hoover Tower, which is this famous monument on campus, So really was delighted to do that. And my plan was to go into medicine because even though I could tell this tech world thing was changing around me growing up, I was insulated from that because my family is a medical family. All three of my parents are physicians. So at that time, I went and I was thinking, I'm going down the straight and narrow path. I'm becoming a dermatologist like dad. But before I knew it, a couple of people were basically coming up to me and saying, hey, why don't you come to this intro computer science class? It's going to be fun bunch of us from the dorm were all going to go over and, you know, being a little bit susceptible to peer pressure at that time in my life. (laughs) Good peer pressure. (laughs) Yeah, it was positive peer pressure. Thankfully, didn't succumb to too much negative, but ended up going out to that class. And before I knew it, the professor was throwing candy into the audience when we were asking questions. We were solving these intricate, interesting problems and I was hooked. What I loved about it was that I could apply systems thinking to solve a really difficult problem once and then scale that impact using the internet and related new technologies, new in the broader sense, to scale that faster than ever possible before in human history. So long story short, didn't take a single pre-med class, (laughs) majored in computer science, you know what I mean, minored in creative writing. And so it was a really fun journey, had the opportunity to do some biocomputational research simulating breast cancer. And then I was at MongoDB in the relatively early days writing algorithms for them and that sort of thing, AI and ML, as well as multi-threading parallelization. So I was deep in the weeds there at what became a very iconic company later on and kind of got to see some of that hyper growth. And then the next summer I worked at Andreessen Horowitz, which is a Silicon Valley-based investment firm that does a lot of venture capital deals. And I got to see a lot in the tech industry. And from there, you know, I kind of rode out into the big world and I had this idea that I wanted to operate in startups and join a bunch of companies that some of you may have heard of them. Some of them are lesser known. Just had an amazing series of experiences doing product management, primarily focused in artificial intelligence and machine learning focused software companies. Everything from, you know, at the early stage working with a couple of folks, even working on my own startup for a little bit in there, all the way to working at Google, which is, you know, I think it was 100,000 people when I joined there. A lot of different experiences going from associate product manager to director of product, making great friends along the way. went back to Stanford for my MBA and did that. It's been quite a journey. have a lot of great experiences and a lot of scars to show for it. And in terms of like what got me into TikTok from this point, I found that throughout this whole journey, I just absolutely loved public speaking. When I was an undergrad at Stanford, I did that. I found myself doing that a lot in product leadership positions in these Silicon Valley tech companies. And on top of that, when it came to business school, I took the public speaking course as well, and I just loved it. And I just got a lot out of public speaking. I also had this interest in youth mentorship. So these things kind of came together with leading me to create a TikTok. Number one, loved public speaking. Number two, had a desire to help others and share some of these scars and learnings and maybe some successes as well that I picked up throughout this career. And I also saw a bunch of my friends, and you know, including people I grew up with and knew from very early on. Creating great content and spreading their messages far and wide. So those are the three things that really brought me into it. And
0: I've just found it to be a really fun channel to share and communicate with people around the world. That's amazing. And I want to go back to your first point because I was chuckling a little bit. Only in the Silicon Valley is peer pressure going to a computer science class. That is amazing. (laughs) And I think that like encapsulates our growing up. And it's funny that you. Mentioned kind of us coming up in this kind of post apocalyptic death of the old tech and into this new tech, which is still feels so new. And I actually joke with a lot of my friends, you know, having been in a couple tech startups, one being an AI ML based startup, it's kind of funny how, like, subconsciously we found our way into tech. And as you start to look around, you see the impact you can make, but you definitely see some of the less talked about things in tech, um, which is kind of why I've decided to kind of. Still take a tech approach to the companies that I work with, but also trying to take more of a humanitarian approach with employees and and with staff of mine as well. You had such a wonderful articulation of just your whole experience and how we try each individual thing. But it's so funny how there's that common thread. And I feel almost on par with you, right, through all these experiences, being young and tech and being successful, all of a sudden you have this want to, like, share it. Because it's not, like, rocket science, it's just consistency and networking and there's some other things in there. But that thread of public speaking, I always say like podcasting is like cheating because I get to public speak here. I get to edit it and then I get to blast it out to thousands of people. And so it's like getting on stage without getting on stage. So I commend you for doing like the real public speaking because it's like really hard. I want to talk to you first about that piece, something that a lot of my followers talk about Is like, how do I break into tech? Like, is it something I should do? Am I missing out? You know, I have someone who went from tech to healthcare, back into finance. Talk a little bit about your experience with tech. And if someone's looking to potentially break into tech, AI, ML, you know, coding, whatever it may be, or project management, kind of what are some of the stepping stones to get started? How did you get started? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the answer
1: is really variable. I'll give you a blue chip path, something that is a very straightforward way to get into tech. And then I'll give you kind of the less conventional answer for those people that might be looking to pivot and maybe get unstuck out of a career that they don't like and pivot into something that they love. The blue chip approach is to go to an elite university, study a technical major, do really well, practice a ton for interviewing, do extremely well in those interviews, get the job, thrive in that job, use that to get subsequent jobs, and advocate really hard for yourself in a very high integrity, totally honest, respectful way. But sometimes you need to advocate for yourself to get that promotion you've been angling for for a year, you know, to be getting that visibility that you're looking for to the CEO level at the company. You've got to kind of make your work known. At the same time, you want to be a team player. So those two things come together. But that's the very well-trodden blue-chip approach, elite education, technical degree, interview super well, combine being a team player with advocating for yourself, and just always keep learning. The more red-chip approach, if you will, the kind of less conventional way to get into tech. I don't have as much experience with that personally, so I can't speak to it in as great of depth. But my feeling is that all it takes is one career move to find yourself in tech. And that's a pattern that I've seen. It's so true. Yeah, exactly, man. Like I've seen people like you, for example, who you were involved with, I think, fashion and lifestyle brands shortly out of college. And the next thing you know, you're pivoting around a little bit. You get one role and then you're in the game. And now you're like, legitimately going up the ladder in tech and growing your career. So I think that is a key element to keep in mind. A lot of times people get overwhelmed because they look at this world of possibilities and they think about batting averages. Like, oh man, I mean, I'm trying to network my way into these companies. I have a background in finance and I've never worked in tech and I don't live in an area where there's a lot of tech, but I really want to get in. All it takes is one. You don't need to have a 50% success rate. You definitely don't need to have a 90%. You need a one percent success rate if you interview at a hundred companies, and the statistics play out. So, keeping that mentality, networking your way in, showing what you can do, and being hyper over prepared for interviews—I mean, even to the extent where you can be like so prepared that it's like a little preposterous—that's going to, I think, give you that foot in the door, and then you can go from there.
0: No such thing as being over prepared, and I appreciate both of those answers. And for those of you who don't kind of take that traditional path, you know, I went to the University of Portland. It's a majority nursing school, right? Like it's not known for for anything tech related, but it was actually very interesting. If you don't have that kind of elite schooling background, I think what you can also do is go to elite companies. And so I actually went to Nike and entertained a vendor, an AI ML vendor that we took a chance on, ended up democratizing it through the company, and ended up pitching it back to the startup to say, hey, I'll leave Nike to help you land 50 more Fortune 500 companies to do this exact thing we did here at Nike. And so that's another approach that I think kind of lends a hand to your redship approach here, which is networking in big companies and seeing kind of what they have to offer. Because Places like Nike and others, they also have many micro companies within it that they're running. And so it's something that you can also find your way into. Something you said that was really great was two things. I think being a team player is easy, right? That's something that I think a lot of people already naturally do kind of defer to the other person. I think as as a collective, like we do that naturally, but advocating for yourself, that's something that I can talk for hours about. All the different approaches to advocating for yourself. And I wanted to stop there because like, to you, what does that mean? When you think about, hey, okay, David, it's time to advocate for myself on the stage you're on now. What does that look like and what are some of the things you do to advocate for yourself?
1: Man, it's such a great question. And I'm glad that you created a platform for us to talk about this. The first thing that I want to say before we get into the how of advocating is really the why. I am very passionate about this. I am ethnically mixed, but I come across as white and I am male. And I'm very aware of that and the privileges that that has associated with it. But, you know, I have two sisters. One of my direct reports is female. I have many friends who are ethnic minorities and... I see how the game can change for them as well. So I just wanted to take a moment like on this stage that you've built here as well to say, especially if you come from those groups, especially if you come from those backgrounds where there might be that cultural thing that's telling you maybe don't do it, I doubly encourage you to do it. And I encourage all the people who are in the majority or who come across as looking like they're in the majority like me to advocate especially for those people as well. Because these problems that we have of inequality and inequity are not going to solve themselves. We have to contribute to that. So I just wanted to start off with that. That's something I'm very passionate about. So the second thing that I would say about that is how do you advocate for yourself? There's something that a lot of people don't do that I find quite surprising, actually. A lot of people do not have clear goals with their manager for how they're going to get promoted. They do not have clear timelines, and they do not mention it to their manager. They have this mentality that they say to themselves, if I just keep my nose to the grindstone and I keep working and I keep taking on more and more work... You know what I mean? I mean, you're you're a leader type of guy. You're a guy who's building. You're a guy who's delegating. So you understand this. But a lot of people, they're never taught this. They don't realize that if I just take on more and more work, I keep my head down and I know my place and I don't advocate for myself. I don't ask to go up. I don't talk about my goal to go up. I don't set milestones that if I hit, I expect to be promoted. In part because of that, their manager looks at them as a resource. You don't want to be seen as a resource. You want to be seen as a leader. So if you just take on endless quantities of work and you just produce, 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 but you don't lead and you don't say, hey, listen, we need to get these resources in place. We need to get two, three more people we're going to hire in. We're going to bring it in. We're going to do this strategy. We're going to make it happen like this. In terms of these priorities, this is the list of five. What are the top three? Let's make sure that we bandwidth constrain that so you have time to think, to strategize, to grow. And I think that talking about it is a huge step. Prioritizing is a huge step. Doing great work but not becoming a workhorse, you don't want to become that workhorse. You want to do less and obsess. That is a really great way to succeed. And beyond that, I think demanding the best from yourself and from the work products that you deliver so that even if you deliver only three out of the five things that your boss wants you to do, but you've prioritized and agreed on them with her and you nail it on all three, then they're going to look at you and they're going to say, hey, when I give this person something, they're trustworthy, they're high integrity, they're reliable. And they do a great job. So trustworthiness is like a magnet for prosperity in business, but you got to couple that with not letting yourself become the oxen that's pushing around, you know, the millstone and somebody that has more of a strategic view and makes it clear where they expect to go and frankly leans into it. I had to ask so many times to get promoted in some of the jobs that I've been at. And it's a little embarrassing to share in some ways, but it's like there's nothing wrong with that. It's the people that I've been working with are great. They have great leadership abilities and skills they bring. And they also have a lot of stuff on their mind. They're very busy. They have a lot going on. And so if, if I don't remind them every once in a while, hey, these are my goals. How are we doing with that? They may forget or kind of put it on the back burner. So i really thankful with that. I've also been very lucky to work at some great companies with great people, including where I am now. So there is a luck element as well.
0: That's awesome. And I love, I like want to put it on a t-shirt, do less and obsessed. Like that is such an amazing tagline. Thanks, Matt.
1: I stole that one, but uh, <laughs> I-, I would love to take credit for it, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, just take credit for it. <laughs> That's a wonderful. And I, as you were kind of talking about that, you know, not being seen as a resource, but as a leader, I think kind of blending that with your talk about how corporate tends to see different individuals, depending really on race, but also gender, right? These two taglines mean two completely different things to different groups. And I remember when I broke into tech, I had this mentality of like, I'm going to work, I don't even care, 60, 70 hour weeks. I'm going to bust my ass. And I think the thing I did that I didn't realize I was doing was I did kind of grind like an ox for about a year, a year and a half, two years. And I did that intentionally. But to your point, I laid out every single thing I did down to a dollar value. And I presented that back at every review. And I'll never forget, he's a good friend of mine now, Chris Stark. Uh, He's an ex-business partner of mine. I came to him with everything. And he was like, I'm actually kind of embarrassed because this is supposed to be a managerial review. And here you are more prepared than me. It set this precedent for how they did reviews going forward. They had a task list, an ROI list. And so, to your point, like if you're someone out there that's like, man, I just want to grind it out and prove my value, like you can do that, but don't do that with no end in sight. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, David, is folks do that with no end in sight, look up at 40, and all of a sudden they're like, why am I never getting looked at for promotions? You know, and I think that you, what you just said is wonderful and not being seen as a resource, but as a leader. Like, man, that is, if you remember anything from this episode, like that's it. Like, that's such a good point. Thank you, Matt. No, I, I love what you said and totally agree with that. There's so many nuances to this and so much
1: we could go into from there around like, how do you think about long-term career goals? How do you align your life dreams with your work and the position you're currently in and figure out if those can meet? God, there's so much to go into there, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And let's dive in because I know that that's something that you talk about overcoming your fears and becoming better each day. For those we focus on the career side that don't feel like they're getting better each day or they feel a sense of fear when they wake up and they go to work, like what can you start to do in your own career to start? I mean, we talked about advocating, but if you're looking to potentially show that value to a manager or if you're looking to even pivot out and start interviewing, like what can someone do to get started there? You know, it's a great question. And I think that in terms of things people can do to get over
1: that fear of going to work or that sense of being stuck in their job and unclear on how they're going to go from point A to what feels like point Z, which is their goal set that they want to achieve. There are daily practices that I find helpful. I can't claim to be some oracle who knows all the answers here. I'm I'm completely a work in progress.
0: No, this is your perspective. It's important. It's an important one, though.
1: Thank you, Matt. I mean, I'm a complete work in progress. And it's funny, you know, one of the comments you made earlier around being successful, like I think by common standards, you know, you are successful and people may even view me that way as well. But I don't like to think of myself as successful because when you have this sense of being a successful person, you have a self-image to protect. You have this mental model of yourself as a person who just does better and better over time, can't afford to take risks, can't afford to fail in the public eye, can't afford to make really big moves that could lead to massive growth later that might really take you into the stratosphere. But guess what? If you got to take 10 steps back now to take 100 steps forward tomorrow, you're not going to do it. If you have this mindset that was quite fixed around the idea of being successful. But there are kind of two things I would say to help someone get unstuck from this career position that so many Americans and so many people across the world find themselves in right now. There are the daily habits and routines, and there are the larger strategic decisions that are incredibly important as well. On the daily routines... I probably don't hit all of these daily. In fact, I know that I haven't hit this every day in the past year. You and me both. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, man. But nine I find super helpful to giving you the energy and the wellness and the mental clarity to pursue your goals are prayer or some other type of tradition you may have of connecting with something higher, meditation, journaling, listening to affirmations that you record in your own voice on repeat, Connecting with great people, such as Khalil. Uh, it's great to reconnect with no, you, brother. Uh, yeah, action. man, no, it really is. Man. <laughs> and other friends, you know, that, that are inspiring, that they're not haters, right? They're really supportive people who want to achieve great things and aren't afraid to see their friends have setbacks and then recover and grow through that. They support that. The sixth thing is eating clean. I think this is a really helpful thing. It's something I've gotten more into.
0: But a tough one.
1: <laughs> it's very oh, tough, man. We'll talk about that one in a second. But exercising, walking. I find walking outside to be incredibly impactful. And in fact, Stanford did a study of this and they found that taking a 30 minute walk outside could be transformative for the level of creativity that you have access to. And this is such a random sounding thing. It's like, okay, walking outside boosts your creativity. Like what does that have to do with creativity? But we have to remember that while our minds and souls might be quite advanced in some way, our bodies are animal and that's the nature of how we're built, right? So Gazelle have to run across the savannah, much in the same way humans have to do that as well. And the last one is sleeping. Sleep is so critically underrated. I love this mentality of try a bunch of things, do a lot, get the most out of your life, fulfill your potential. But in fact, if you look at it, getting one extra hour of mediocre productivity in exchange for damaged memory, mood volatility, crankiness, and all those things that come with having that little bit of sleep deprivation, in my mind, it's simply not worth it most of the time. Every person has a different sleep need. Some people genuinely can get away with six, seven hours and feel at the top of their game. Others, it's more like nine, 10 hours they've gotta spend in bed in order to get that, maybe it's eight or nine or nine and a half that they need to feel at their best. So that's the daily habit side, and I think that's very key. On the eating clean side, I'm gonna share something quite controversial, which is something that maybe you wanna consider, maybe you don't, it's probably not for everybody. I have never drank alcohol. I've never smoked. I've never done drugs. And I do not
0: eat almost anything with added processed sugar. The last one I'm I'm very impressed with because I am a sugar monster and I'll be the first to admit, I know about half the audience just shriveled in their boots. Like, how the heck are you doing that? <laughs> well, it, sounds, it sounds really wild when I say it like
1: that, but at the same time, it was a process that happened over time and I kind of stumbled into it. And it wasn't something where I just was like, this massively, insanely disciplined person who was just like, you know what? I'm living perfectly. And then boom, I was there. It was more a thing where I realized the effect that sugar was having on me. And I'll eat it sometimes. Like if I go to a wedding, for example, I was at a good buddy's wedding recently and they had some pie there. I had some of that, but it's maybe a couple times a year type of a thing at this point. And I mean, the reason why I find that so important is because I think it's really good to try to break free of addictions that we have And to be honest with you, in this digital age that we live in now, it's so easy to get addicted to new things. We get addicted to YouTube shorts and TikTok and some new Netflix show, whatever it might be. There's so much out there that has caused the power of discipline and its value to just skyrocket
0: exponentially over time. I honestly, that's such a good way to put it. I never like put two and two together, like looking at discipline like a stock. If it was like 100%, that is such a good point. Sorry, I wanted to pause there. That's such a good Yeah, point. man, no, 100%. Discipline is something, it's like Tesla
1: stock, right? From the beginning, it's just going crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And it's because there are so many amazingly entertaining, engaging, addictive, mind-altering things that we have access to now at the tap of a button, whether that's something like watching so to speak, inappropriate content online or really addictive, dramatic social media, reality TV shows, you can press a button and have cannabis delivered to your house at any time. You know what I mean? You can DoorDash dash unhealthy foods. And this is not to judge anyone who you know partakes in these things at times. We're all on our own journeys. I am on my own journey. I make a lot of mistakes. But it's just to say that it's easier now to be undisciplined than it ever has been before in human history, which means that those who can be disciplined their stock is just blowing through the roof. And that is part of why I wanted to get rid of that sugar addiction. I was addicted, man. I had a college girlfriend. I would go out on a date with her. We would go to the candy store afterward. We'd get like boxes of sour's and different sour candies, chocolates. I just flammed like 100 grams of sugar in a single night. I was an absolute fiend when it came to sugar. But at the same time, what I realized is I got this feeling in my heart sometimes when I'd look at you know, ice cream or a candy bar or whatever. And it was this craving feeling where your heart feels gripped. Like someone reached out their hand and they just grabbed your heart, not too hard, but a little bit lightly. And you're like, oh man, like I really want that. And I just, I just don't like to feel that way, man. So I try to keep an eye on myself with social media. I try to keep an eye on myself with sugar. And I found it also helped a lot with, you know, physical fitness as well.
0: Well, that is some wonderful takes. And I think it's a good challenge really to anyone who's been thinking about that. And I, appreciate the take of, you know, it's an iterative process because cutting out those habits can be really difficult. You know, I wish I could say I was clean of all four, but I, as you described it, I totally understand what you're getting at. And I think personally, I go through like fasting, I'll fast off of those things for 30 to 60 to 90 days. And I'll find myself back to it because it's just one of some of those things like I just love. Uh, And so especially like, my wife is an extraordinary cook. And like last night, she made like a pear crumble. And like, how do I say no to that, right? And I think part of it is like setting yourself up to be able to say yes to it because you haven't over inundated yourself. Like, you know that feeling when you've fasted and you get back and you, you eat a little bit and you're like, whoa, this tastes so good. Like your body, like you get more of dopamine from just that single bite than you would if you're just constantly taking it in. So I appreciate you laying out these things of, one, how you perceive yourself is, is huge. Your daily habits and getting into some of those daily habits. Because I always hear that, like, look at, it, watch your habits. But no one ever goes into, like, what that is. And so I know there was so much immense value you just gave us. Thank you, Matt. And, you know, the strategic element as well is incredibly important. Because, listen,
1: if you're doing all nine of these things that I just mentioned and you're crushing them, you're probably going to naturally find yourself gravitating toward things that are going to help you meet your goals in life. But it won't solve all your problems right away. As somebody was joking online, taking cold showers doesn't make you a successful entrepreneur, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, and, and sure, there's correlation there, and you learn to be disciplined with certain things, and I think that's all excellent. But when it comes down to it, you have to have the right strategy as well. Advice that I often give, Galil, when I think about career advice, because sometimes young people reach out to me for advice, and they say like, hey, you know, what should I do? I'm just graduating from college, or I just graduated, and I'm thinking about what to do next. I want to do this and that with my life. What should I do? One common piece of advice I give them is that the chess board that you're playing on is often more important than how good you are at chess. Here's what I mean by that. If you are at a company where you get some equity and you're at like a low-level position, let's say you're just a junior software engineer or an associate in marketing, and you get some equity, and that company blows through the roof like Snowflake did, you may be now a millionaire. Did you generate $5, 10000000 million in value? That's an open question. Probably not. It would be hard to find anywhere in the market that would pay you that same amount. But because you were on the right chessboard, even if you didn't add that much value, you didn't absolutely crush it, you still got an asymmetric outcome. And much in the same way, if you are absolutely crushing it, just closing all of the deals and designing all of the products and coming up with all the best marketing and hiring great teams, but you're at a company that ultimately pancakes fails to raise funding, has a massive down round, it shuts down, and you just put four years of your blood, sweat, and tears into that, your equity is worth zero. So in this business world, it's a very cruel environment with the way that the market works economically. And so it's very important to understand, is the type of thing you're doing or is the company you work for going to allow you to meet your goals in your health, in your relationships, in your career, and your financial goals? your avocations? Are you going to have enough time to do, you know, to create podcasts, to do this marketing stuff that you love, right? Are you going to have the time to pursue that passion? And so that has two levels, if you will. Level one is like, if you're working at a company, are you at the right company? Like, are you working for a good organization that will bring you closer to your goals? And level number two is, are you fundamentally even doing the right type of thing to help you reach your goals? If your goal is to make $10 million a year, Unless you join very, very hot startups and have asymmetric outcomes, it's going to be very hard to ever achieve that. And if you can pick that well, you might as well become a venture capitalist. So
0: <laughs> facts.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's one of these things where like you have to kind of understand in the long run, where is this going? But if you become, for example, an influencer who helps millions of people across the globe and you have products and services that are complementary and help them, and give them great value, that could lead to millions of revenue in a year. Or if you get into real estate, that could lead to millions of dollars in a year. If you get into something more entrepreneurial, that could lead to something that really gives you a good payoff as well. But these things all have higher risk, higher degrees of failure, potentially to push outside of that comfort zone and not identify with being a success and telling yourself you've arrived.
0: Yeah, and it's so true. And I, I love everything you said. Down to the, you know, looking at it like a chessboard, right? Because that's a wonderful way of putting it. And all these different companies, right, have all these different ways that they set themselves up to stay in power, to make sure that people stay in their place, et cetera. And then you have others that I've worked for in the past, which have been open books like, hey, down to like my first startup that I was lucky to sell and my first hit. Uh, it was like, hey, look at our financials. Like, we'll walk you through it, you know? And I was a baseline solutions engineer, you know? Like, I had never seen that, right? Oh, we're having an investor meeting. We're going to record it and send it out to the whole staff. Like, these are some things that companies don't do. But I've also been on the other end of the spectrum. And you said something that I'm going to push back a little bit on, which is the financial side of equity is zero when you join something that fails. You know, I just joined um, a healthcare startup. It was at-home healthcare. And it was funded by a publicly traded company that decided it needed to raise its stock and cut it. And this was, you know, three weeks before my wedding, right? And you have... Oh, geez, I'm sorry to hear that, brother. Oh, no, but that is the first kind of step. That's our first course of thought is like, holy crap, like this isn't good. And it's not, right? No one loves that. You see a future, you put it in work. However, I was lucky that I wasn't there for very long, but I was able to learn a ton. I got to be head of product, which was something that I had always wanted to do. I got to lead a huge team. But there was so much value that I gained by getting gut punched, by waking up on that Monday and getting that announcement, by having to look back at my network and say, well, like, what do I do from here now that this hasn't worked? All these things that I've been working on myself, life's a spiral staircase, right? Came roaring back, right? All these things I thought, man, I've I've checked that box. I'm off to the next lesson, right? Here's back that lesson again, right? Are you Are you okay with instability? Are you okay with uncertainty? Do you believe in yourself? I'll tell you for anyone out there, because I know that layoffs and I know that this environment is crazy right now. I mean, a lot of folks are going through it. What I'll tell you what I've learned was it only took about three to four days for me not only to find cooler opportunities, but to better align myself with the things that I want to do, even better than I thought getting into these opportunities. Because to your point, you could see a chessboard, right, that looks wonderful, And corporations have that plausible deniability once you're in to completely change that board. And now all of a sudden you're like me on that Monday, like, can I have seen this coming? No, I'm not an investor at this company, right? I I know them, but I'm not them, right? I'm not the CEO of this publicly traded company. I don't have the ability to take that decision back, right? Right. But what I do have and the way I look at it is like a pinball machine. Just, the crank is kind of, you know, you're slowly pulling back on this draw, and you never lose that momentum. Even if, right, these companies are cutting you, you're constantly learning. And once you hit that correct opportunity or once you're in that correct environment, boom, right, all of a sudden your value can go through the roof. All the things you've learned can do well. And I can't share right now, but personally, that's what's going on right now is all of a sudden that opportunity that I thought I was going for is now here because of one of the worst things that potentially most perceive can kind of happen in your career. So I did want to just make a note of that. Like, if you're someone that's listening to this and you're like, oh my God, it's totally me. Like, I totally chose the wrong chessboard. Like, I'm laid off. Like, I feel like shit and I'm listening to this to get motivated. Like, you just don't know what's going to be around the corner and you just don't know what value you have and so to that you are correct though my friend zero dollars aside from the severance which is wonderful but uh, (laughs) i didn't want to just make a note of that you know what man can i comment on that quickly yeah absolutely absolutely i just want to
1: applaud you for being vulnerable enough to share that story with people on this platform that you've built so many people are unwilling to talk about that man i have been laid off before and the company that i was working for You know, I picked the wrong chessboard, right? And it turned out they couldn't raise venture financing. I was running like three engineering teams from the product side. And, you know, I launched a product that grew to be like 20% of the revenue of the company. And I turned around the email marketing team. I was doing pretty well. I was 22 years old at this time. And then next thing you know, they just sat me down after they had had two waves of major layoffs and the office was feeling empty. And the chief product officer sat me down and he was like, he looked so sad. He was like, dude, I'm so sorry, man. Board eliminated your position. And they did. And I kind of comforted him. I comforted this guy as it happened. And I shared this experience with my Stanford business school classmates in a class we had. It was just so rare to hear about that in the conversation of business school. There's so much talk about being a master of the universe and everything you touch turns into gold. But the truth is the greatest and most successful people, in my opinion, are the people who have the most virtue, and the most virtue is really going to be dictated to a large extent by their ability to solve difficult problems, their trustworthiness, their truthfulness, their ability to just keep on going when things are tough, to have good relationships with people. So I just want to tell anyone out there who's listening, if you've been laid off or you've been kicked out of a job for some reason, I know it might sound like my career path has been very smooth and stable. And maybe many of you have that impression of Khalil as well, because he's a very successful, well spoken man. But the truth is, I've been out of two jobs, much in that similar way. And it all happened before I turned 23. I think it was around the time I turned 23 or a little before that all this happened. So you never know. Keep going. You don't know what outcome is going to come from your effort. And you just got to gotta go for it. Remember that it's not about the batting average at all. It is literally only
0: about the absolute number of hits that you get. It's so important. And I thank you for sharing that too, David. I think when I'm asked or when I give speeches or or talks or when I talk to my mentors and, you know, I've been asked this question on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, which I really loved, which was, what is your most valuable skill? And it kind of hit me and I'm going to ask you this question, but my answer to that was effective communication and taking it a step further, your ability to communicate empathy and vulnerability. We've all been there, right? When a teammate's having a bad day, like everyone can show up for the good day. When you, you know, we have great news and you're in a good mood, right? It's easy to be a manager. It's easy to be a leader. To you know, oh, good job, that's wonderful. It's hard when you have to have those conversations. And I kind of chuckled a little bit because here's our parallel universes of having to like comfort a CPO that's laying you off. I same experience, like. It's trippy, but it's at the same time, that's our skill is being able to be vulnerable. And I made that decision a couple of years ago. It wasn't something that I've always done. I kind of followed the status quo of, you know, sharing your wins and being sparse with your losses. But I found that as I became more vocal about my losses or more vocal about my vulnerability, more people came out of the shadows. Like my first TikTok video was about that. And it got like millions of views and it was down to this thing of like, I thought I was alone. And like, there aren't many things that I feel alone in. And and people were saying like, I felt like I was alone in this. And all of a sudden here are all these people that have experienced it. So like, what am I beating myself up over? So to you, David, like, what would you say? I have kind of like two questions for you. One is like, what would you say in today's world, like your most high value skill or even your favorite skill that you possess that kind of differentiates you from the rest? It's a great question, man. As I think about this,
1: it's a really interesting one because I really like this idea that Professor Carol Dweck from Stanford talked about with the growth mindset and I try to think of myself as a beginner, starting from nothing, having nothing, having nothing to boast of regardless of where I actually am. That might be an anti-answer, having I mean, like this kind of
0: No, it's it's wonderful though. It's so it's there's so much humbleness in that answer that you don't see a lot, especially in hyper competitive tech, you know, you don't see that. I mean, I just I guess I don't want to be a person who feels like they have anything to protect. You know, like I'm just a human being.
1: You know, years ago, me and Khalil would be probably buddies in the tribe, you know, we'd be carrying spears on the <laughs> yes. savannah. It would be yes. nothing fancy. This whole <laughs> new world where Khalil's doing these startups and selling companies and I'm doing, you know, hiring teams and we're growing fast and all this with venture money. It's it's all like very artificial and kind of unique to this point in history. And I'm really thankful to be a part of it because you can learn so much and have a lot of fun. But yeah, man, I just try to have this sense of everything. I can just try, try, learn, try,
0: learn, connect, and just go from there. Absolutely, and I love that. I love that analogy. I think, I think that was hilarious. And I, I've had that conversation with myself a lot. That's why I'm talking to you right now. What do building startups mean? Why do I do these things? And for me, it's the game. And it's not only a game, it's like your favorite athlete, right? Why do they play the game they play? It's because there's lessons in that game. You get pushed, you get challenged, you have no control a lot of the time in those games, and you really get to see the core of who you are. And I asked myself this question, okay, if I won this game, quote unquote, right? If I got all the money, when I wake up in the morning, I'm happy and joyous, and when I go through my day, I'm calm relatively, You know, what would I do with my time? Aside from right philanthropy and things I just naturally do already, podcasting was that thing, like talking to people like this, like, this is what really fires me up and gets me excited. So to you, David, like when you look at the start of your TikTok journey, when you look at the continuation of your career, like where do you see yourself in five years? What do you want to build and, and how can we help you build it? Man, I just want to say, first off, I feel like this podcasting and public
1: speaking thing is such a great fit for you. And I'm a huge believer in you and huge supporter of your success and impact, man. So I just want you to know that first Thank off. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. But second off, In five years, if I could be doing anything, man, this is kind of a vulnerable question. I don't usually like to talk about stuff like this, especially in public forums. But the ultimate answer for me, man, is I want to fulfill my potential as a human being. And when you were talking about this startup thing as a game and all of this is like a a matrix in a way, it is. I mean, I'm a believer that we are spiritual beings here in a material realm, all on a journey of personal development and growth and connecting with others and learning and becoming better. Coming as close as we can to really filling up the vessel that we've been given, whether it's the size of a water bottle, a thimble, or a swimming pool. And so for me, that's where I want to go. I want to fulfill my potential across the board as much as I can. In health, in my relationships, in my career, I could see myself doing a lot of different things. There are a lot of things I find very interesting in career. Being on the product management leadership track, I find very fascinating. Venture investing, I find fascinating. Working and thinking about... Businesses online, I find very fascinating. So there are a lot of different paths, and I guess we'll see what the world brings. But that mentality of try, learn, connect, and just see where it goes, and try to destroy my own ego and just work toward getting better is, is I think the that's the modus I'm hoping to be a part of.
0: Man, are you like in my journal or something? If you, you just name my three loves too, like how the heck did you do that? Uh, no, <laughs> David, it's it wonderfully said. And I always, as kind of a wrap up, going to give you opportunity. Is there anything that you maybe didn't get to touch on that you wanted to touch on. I just want to kind of give you that floor. Feel free to give it some thought here, uh, but just want to give you the last five, 10 minutes. Thank you. One thing I want to share
1: is something that I think is extremely powerful. I remember early on in my career, I was probably 21 years old and I was in a session with Ben Horowitz from Andreessen. And I asked a question, and I think that summer I ended up interning at Andreessen Horowitz on the investing team. But I asked him a question. I said something like, you know, I really think that your mindset largely shapes the direction that your life goes so what are the mindsets that you adopt in your life how do you get to have that mindset that leads to kind of success happiness fulfillment and so on kind of a deep question for this type of setting but i guess i was an eager beaver you know i wanted to learn and he kind of joked around you know he said your attitude is your altitude he was joking around about it a little bit but shared some different perspectives but to this day i still really believe that i really believe that There are many factors outside of our control, there are many things that are hard, there are many things that are challenging, but in the long run, man's reality is his thought. And so if you are thinking good thoughts, you're speaking good words, you're doing good deeds, your beliefs and your self image are aligned with who you wanna be, and you're living in that way, from the inside out, I think it does kind of spread into your life. And for this reason, being able to change mindsets and change your self image is critically important and I think is a skill that almost no one talks about, but I know you are interested in this, and we have a lot of common ground there as well. At a high level, the way I would think about it is the following five practices, and this is at least what I do. I could be wrong, I could be missing 90% of this game, but I hope that this will help at least one person out there. Number one is journal. Journaling reduces the base level of noise in your mind. If you imagine your mind is, yeah, it's like a bunch of neurons playing tennis in there, hitting, (laughs) hitting the ball all over the place. When you do that, you stop the game. Now everyone's sitting down. They're all chill. You can have the ability to direct your focus. So journaling really helps with that. The second is affirmation. I like to record affirmations on my phone. Sometimes I'll play them just when I'm doing something, like driving in the car, even taking a shower. You know, if you're not listening to a podcast or whatever, you can listen to some affirmations. And I find it can be helpful to listen to them, but also to rehearse them, to really get yourself emotionally present into the zone and and embody them and imagine what does it feel like? What does it look like? What does it sound like when I'm feeling this way, when I'm being this way, and really starting to train your mind to take you to the places that you want to go. The third is a technique called collapsing anchors, which is from neuro-linguistic programming. It's something that Tony Robbins and others talk about, but it's when you get that irrational response to something, when something comes up and it just triggers you, and you're like, "Oh God, I just feel filled with fear. Or, oh, I hate that. Or, you know, You feel some really strong feeling that feels unjustified. You may want to consider if there's some work that needs to be done there. At least that was what I considered. I've been working through some stuff myself. And collapsing anchors, long story short, is where you use a very physiological approach to trigger that negative feeling or experience and trigger very positive feelings and experiences at the same time, which kind of reduces the emotional negativity around that certain trigger. The fourth is talking with wise people to diagnose your life and your issues, you know, people who have this same mentality, right? And for me, I had a conversation with my father that was actually quite life-changing on Friday. So it's a great thing that we're having this conversation now, but just spoke with him and he pointed out, Hey, you know, I think you might be in this mindset you might be having this self-image and these things could be affecting you. And I said, my God, you know, you're right. And yeah. it just totally changed. Like the next few days were just totally different than the previous few
0: days. And good for you for listening too, because I think that's a huge piece that people miss is just listening to that feedback. Like the fact that you were able to take that in and be like, you know, you're right, I'm gonna do something about it. Such a huge quality, David. Thank you, Matt. And
1: the last one I would say is just
0: try to reinforce this
1: cycle. Try to reinforce the cycle of this new belief, this new mindset you wanna have with your thoughts, words, and deeds. So literally just think in your head sometimes, like I can do this. I love doing this. This is great. Like I'm, I'm excited about this job. I'm not nervous. I'm, I'm feeling great today. And with your words, like Khalil asked me, how are you doing? It's like, I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm doing great. You know, it's these things that we tell ourselves, we tell our friends, they can impact us. And then there's this third element around deeds. At the end of the day, thoughts and words are super helpful and they help drive you to deeds. But deeds are the things that actually affect that result in your life in many cases. And so if you can just start to do more of those deeds and just take the smallest possible step, like you're trying to get fit, do one push up a day. Like, that is your goal, one single push up. And if you're feeling good and you hit five, fantastic. You know, if you're feeling good and you hit 20, even better. But let yourself just have that goal to one push up for like a month, as long as it takes to the point where you just feel it's trivial to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, absolutely. you know what I mean? And then you're going to start yeah, doing it so more.
1: True. Like, I accidentally became like physically fit when I was in high school. I just started doing it because my dad was like, hey, you got to get in better shape. You know, you're looking a little bit skinny fat over here. I was like, I was like, Hey, fair enough. I'm eating too much sugar. And you know, (laughs) that was after we played basketball. I I wasn't um, doing like sports in school at that point. And so I was like, all right, yeah, I guess I am kind of out of shape. Let me just go run until I feel tired and then stop. You know what I mean? It was like the smallest thing. There wasn't any big, like, I'm going to do a marathon and I'm going to have like a six pack and I'm going to do that. It was just like, I'm just going to do something. And then one day I remember I was working out. I was like hauling this weight over myself to do Russian twists because by this point I'd just been working out a lot. It became part of my life because I just eased into it and built up. And it got to a point where I looked at myself and I was like, oh my God, what's going on with my stomach? Is something wrong? And
0: I was like, oh my God, those are my abs. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs>
0: that's awesome. Love, like fell into abs. I love that.
1: <laughs> exactly. So like that's the approach that I really encourage people to take, you know? Start with these things, get your mindset straightening out, but complement that at the same time with these deeds. Start small and just build yourself up. Build yourself up, celebrate the wins, and go from there.
0: Wonderful, David. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's still stuck in my head, do less than obsess. I think that is, encapsulates this episode wonderfully. If you guys want to connect with David, uh, all his links will be below. Thank you again, David. Appreciate you for coming on.
1: Absolutely, Khalil. Thanks for having me on, brother.
0: Thank you for listening to the Unstucked podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com follow us on TikTok at unstuffed.